You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. they were live an ongoing and monthly conversation about the disney animated canon in chronological order playing our part in a healthy ecosystem between art and criticism and fandom you could say that in learning we will teach and in teaching we will learn hopefully along the way we enrich the viewing experience and have some fun too today we're softly treading the sand below our feet as we enter the jungle paradise untouched by man of the 37th film in the canon 1999's tarzan this movie marks the end of the 10 movies and 10 years run that started with Little Mermaid, and that is now known as the Disney Renaissance. Uh, it won an Academy Award for the best original song, You'll Be In My Heart, and it was the most commercially successful film since The Lion King. Joining me, as always, he may be a subspecies of elephant. He enjoys a peanut. Elephants enjoy a peanut. <laughs> it's Michael Farmer. Hi, Michael. <laughs> How's it going, Josh? uh it's going it's it's just going these days you know sure like, <laughs> sure you're still in the united states i believe i am still in the united states and and the uh yeah the the window for us getting back just keeps getting tighter and and tighter so we uh we may be here for for a, a very long time i don't know and our, so. our listeners may not know this but everything you own is actually still in china <laughs> that's right we did bring, well we brought a couple things back with us but Yes, uh, we we came to be just here for a couple weeks, um, so that's the amount of stuff that we brought, and everything is still sitting in an, in an empty apartment, um, just waiting for us to to come. Or and not empty; it's got all our stuff in it. But un, a ghost it? apartment. Uh, a ghost apartment. Yeah. So if I were you, and I don't say this in order to make you paranoid, because I don't think you're this sort of paranoid person, I would have started worrying two days after I left that somebody was breaking in and stealing my stuff, and I would still be worried about it today. Yeah. We, have, we do have people who go over and check on it every now and, the, now and again. So You left your cats there, too, didn't you? Uh, yeah, we have one cat, Bagheera, because um, I'm always on brand. Um, and <laughs> yeah, Bagheera is not – unfortunately, he's not alone in the apartment. He's he's staying with some friends of ours. But, oh, good. Yeah, they've, ha- they've had him for nearly a year now, so he's – Sounds he's like he's their cat. It, he practically is at this point, which is – it's it's sad. I mean, there's there's, of course, all sorts of things that tie you to a place – um, but our cat definitely is one of the things that is tying us back to China and that we, is, you know, that we wish we were there. You know, we had two cats for 17, 18 years and it, we, they moved many, many times. And every time they moved, I would think about, uh, I would think about this thing I read that said that cats are much more attached to the place they live than to the people they live with. And that mm-hmm. really the nicest thing you could do for a cat when you move is just leave them in the house. Yeah. Yeah, so we really messed our cat up because we not only made him leave the house and <laughs> move into another apartment, we also put him with another group of people. But yeah, my wife would take issue with with uh, with whatever you read there because she she feels that that Bagheera has a, a special attachment to her, which he may well because like I, nobody cares about this stuff. But um, sure. we we got we got him before he was you know before he should have left his mother. We had him, so oh, she she definitely nur- she yeah she nursed him and stuff with a with a. Uh, but like with a little, you know, uh, dropper, you know. Oh wow! He was, that tiny. he was that tiny. So, 
So yeah, he's definitely dear to us. Well, there's a cat in this movie, um, not a very friendly one, <laughs> as it turns out. That's right. Yeah, you know, um, we've talked on the show before about how my daughters love cats, and so my my uh, my second daughter in particular, like big cats are her favorite. So she was really trying hard to spin it at the beginning of the movie that you know the cat was just playing tag with that little monkey and uh, was just taking it off to play. It's fine. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't it didn't uh, didn't work out. Your daughter well, is but... a codependent enabler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, she was she was working hard at it, but it, it didn't it didn't really fly. No, nobody was buying it, including her. I'm pretty sure. So. Ah, you know the cat is it, it's a leopard or a jaguar. I can't I can't um I I don't, I don't really know what the difference between those two animals is, but it, it's just doing what it was designed to do, right? I mean, it's got to eat too, and what's it going to eat? It's going to eat living animals yeah yep so yeah so yeah kind of a uh an amazingly um uh kind of a dark opening i guess you know you see a you you see a baby gorilla get get taken i mean Uh you know it's it's been eaten and then uh you see uh you see the bodies of the of the mom and dad after they've already been killed by this by this cat so it is it is kind of a darker darker opening remarkably Uh, dark and i think i think the best sequence in the movie frankly um in terms of both animation and kind of emotional impact mm -hmm. yeah i 100 percent agree this movie starts uh starts at its highest point and then it's (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately there's no place to go but down i guess uh well and and, you know it's it's weird because you can i can at least pinpoint the moment i knew i was not going to like this movie which i did not um, and it's it's when Turk pops up and says he's freaky looking, and I thought, <laughs> oh, this is this movie's not going to be for me. <laughs> Turk pops up with his Brook her her Brooklyn accent and says, uh, yeah. <laughs> says he's freaky looking. I was he's like, freaky oh, looking. No. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, and, and so I think yeah, I think this is very interesting. Yeah, I am not. I hadn't thought about it. I should have thought about it, but yeah, obviously, uh, Turk, Turk is not for you. Um, <laughs> that's the, that's very clear. Um, but yeah, I feel like the, the, but you're right. The, before Turk pops up, we should spend a little bit of time on that because that, it, it is very, very well done. I mean, it is this whole movie I would say is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like the, the animation is probably, well, I'll talk about I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but I, I think this is you know their peak animation. But um, they they do some beautiful cuts um, here between the you're you're watching a family of gorillas and you're watching Tarzan's um, human family at that time, and uh, the cuts between them are, are really well done, um, and you know just showing the par- the parallel of of their of their lives, and then. Um, and then, yeah, like even even when it does cut to the cat, it's so cool because the in oh I forget which which I think you're in Tarzan's day, so the sun is one cat's eye, and then you're in uh, the gorilla's night, so the moon is the other cat's eye. Like mm-hmm. like in a transition, it's really really cool. Yeah, there, there's yeah. some there's some great transitions like that. One I even had to rewind is when. Uh, Kala, the uh, Tarzan's gorilla mother, throws him up in the air as a child, and he comes down as a as a man. And the the transition there is so smooth that I wasn't even sure I saw it. Mm-hmm. So, and there's yeah. there's a number of of really wonderful dissolves like that. Yes, yeah, yeah, I agree. They just they really 
they they really ni- nicely um, tie. I mean, show just show the parallels between these two so so nicely at the beginning. It's, it's really whoever whoever worked on the storyboards and the animation for for all of this part did did a tremendous job. I wish they would have had more say in the rest of the movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, then you know, but actually, so I I actually think the the whole first act is is really good like all the way until um jane and and her father uh the professor and uh clayton show up um i'm pretty like i'm pretty okay with it is it does get very um uh it takes it takes a stylistic turn from the from the very darkness of the beginning to the uh he's freaky looking and then you get um the comic relief from um tantor the elephant as well and you kind of know what you're in for a little bit by that point. The, I mean, the elephants are are red, which I thought was an interesting uh, color choice option to kind of let you know, like, hey, yeah, we're, like we're drawing a lot of this very realistically, but then we're going to go very cartoony as well in, cer- in certain ways. It's kind of a, kind of an interesting choice. I thought about that but, too, and I, I decided that they they wanted to draw the gorillas realistically, but if they'd drawn the elephants that way, they would have been gray. And there wouldn't have been there wouldn't have been enough color contrast, so mm. they decided since the elephants largely, except for that very first moment where they're fighting, um, they, they are largely comic relief. Uh, it made sense to change their color and keep the gorillas more or less realistic. Yeah, yeah, the elephants kind of look a little bit like out of um, uh, when the there's the color change in the Lion King uh, during "I Just Can't Wait to Be King." Mm-hmm. Um, where they change the colors of all the animals and, and they're, they're kind of like <laughs> out of that moment, you know, <laughs> kind of, uh, yeah, just different. But then you see young Tarzan, uh, growing up and, and struggling to, to fit in as a, as a gorilla when he's obviously not a gorilla. Um, and I, yeah, I enjoyed all that. Like I thought, I thought that was all, all fine and, and funny. It is, it is, it is very different contrast from, I think your your moment your break moment is is where the movie definitely does does change tone. Um, but well, and it but has then, yeah, to. This is a children's cartoon. I mean, we we went through this with Hunchback of Notre Dame too, which I, I think is probably going to be the darkest thing we see uh, in this project. I, I can't imagine there's going to be anything um, blacker than that. Uh, but it, it they they had to do it and yet doing it feels like a mistake to me and i i don't think they balance it as well as they did with with hunchback yeah which is funny because in in hunchback we talked about how they didn't balance it very well i think right right well that's <laughs> we, the I big mean, weakness of that movie the, and th- the this problem. To, to me tarzan the the failures of this movie are inevitable if you if you watch it in line with the other films in the Disney Renaissance, you, you can see it growing out of The Lion King and Pocahontas in particular. And the weaknesses of those two movies, um, which I, I think we both agreed were, were good movies, you know, Lion King, arguably the best movie they, they've done, and Pocahontas much better than I thought it was going to be. Um, but the, the weaknesses of those movies get amplified and in, until they, they just kind of engulf Tarzan, um, really from from not from start to finish, but from eight minutes to 130, uh, uh, an hour and 33 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So talk a little bit more about like what you mean by the weaknesses of those movies, like just kind of <laughs> like like say just say a little more, I guess. 
Well, because uh, I, I agree with you, and I, I, I have written in my note here that we, we're getting some warmed over themes and ideas from the other Renaissance movies, but I'm just curious where, where you're heading with that. Yeah, so um, Pocahontas in particular has this environmental message that can feel a little bit shoehorned in, but it feels much more uh, organic than the environmental message here does. This this feels very heavy-handed in its treatment of, uh, of Clayton, uh, who's somewhere between a big game hunter and uh, somebody who wants to stock a zoo. It's it's not really clear what motivates him other than money. And so you you have the uh, the the Jamestown settlers in Pocahontas who begin the movie by singing they're they're coming for God guns God gold and glory is that is that the the three G's that they're interested in Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I and, can't remember, but and, yeah, and that's super heavy handed, right? But but. I, I think Clayton is even less sympathetic, even less rounded a character than than um, uh, Governor Ratcliffe in in that movie was, um, and and so you 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 get that kind of uh, preachiness from Pocahontas, and you get it amplified here. Another thing that was a problem in Pocahontas is you have a a heroine, and I don't think we talked about this, but you have a heroine who is more or less perfect. There's really nothing for her to learn or any way for her to grow as the movie progresses. And you've got that here. Um, mm-hmm. Tarzan Tarzan has no faults. He has to learn how to live in these two worlds. But unlike in The Lion King, where Simba has to, has to go through this kind of humbling process, no, nothing like that has to happen with Tarzan. I, and I wonder how intentional it was. There's that um, Phil Collins song, Son of Man, You'll Be a Man Someday. I mean, mm-hmm. Son of Man is a term used for Jesus in, in the New Testament. Uh, yes. And, and I, I couldn't help but, but wonder if Collins picked that term just because Tarzan is, he's not exactly a Christ figure because he doesn't die, um, but he... Um, he he's so perfect that there's no way in to understanding him. Yeah. Does, does it make sense? I'm really, absolutely. I'm really glad you brought it up because I, I actually, so I, I wasn't sure what to do with the son of man thing. I think, I think you're onto something with uh, the, the perfection of Tarzan. But what I, what I had noticed was that this, you know, the, well, there's, there's kind of a couple ideas that are related to what you're, what you're saying here one is this kind of idea that um because he's raised in this kind of idyllic um paradise type setting that knows only peace i mean i mean they're obviously the the, the jaguar the leopard or something is there but like you know, you know like it's meant to be this this kind of perfect sort of world which actually like being raised away from humanity somehow makes him a better human uh-huh. than, than, than mankind, you know? Um, and so, yeah, he has to grow to be a man, but then, I mean, the line that he says is, well, I won't be a man like you to Clayton. That's right. Yeah. And we don't, and we don't really see any other, uh, options for him as far as like, what does a man look like? I mean, I don't want to take away from the fact that the professor is there, but like Tarzan's not looking to him no. as as any sort of a figure to to imitate either, right? Yeah, and I think that goes back to what you're saying. He's very unmasculine. Yeah, and so Tarzan doesn't have any, but I think you're right. Like he doesn't have any place to grow to, and that's that's another thing that I I was unsatisfied was it the the theme seems to be something about integrating these two worlds. 
Um, but he doesn't really integrate the worlds at all. That's right. Um, he he just you know he stays in the jungle and convinces a couple other people to stay in the jungle with him as well. You know, which I think um, is a change from the book that this is based on. I haven't read that, but I think he he in the book they do go back to London. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I that's all I know too is that it is a change from the book. I I haven't read. Um, I haven't read this either. It's too I did bad read... David Grubbs isn't here because I know that he um, he loves Edgar Rice Burroughs. Oh, does he? Yeah, I've read John Carter of Mars and you know most of that series. I don't know if I read the entire series, but most of that series. But um, which I believe is that right? That's also Edgar Rice. Burroughs? That's Edgar Rice Burroughs. Yeah, yeah I haven't yeah, read yeah. that either. I've never read Burroughs. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's it's um, it's all that Rousseauian idea. The the idea that Jean Jacques Rousseau puts forth that man everywhere is born free and put into chains by society. And so there's this sense that if you could just get him away from the artificiality of human society, uh, he would be morally upright. He would be virtuous. He would be a real man. Uh, and, and I think obviously from, from a Christian perspective that, that completely ignores the notion of original sin. And Mm -hmm. I, I just, I think, Practically, the idea that I, I guess I'm with Aristotle here that man, apart from a polis, is either a, a beast or a god. He's either too bad to live with other people, or he is superhuman and doesn't need to live with other people. Now, you could get around that with Tarzan by saying, well, he's not outside a polis. He he's in a polis of these uh, these intelligent gorillas, and and you know, in the in the universe of the movie, I think we can probably accept that. But uh, an actual Tarzan raised by apes would not be. I, I want to be careful with my words because I don't want to say he wouldn't be fully human because he's a human being and, and thus made in the image of God and all that stuff. But he would he would not be capable. He would be below society, not above it, which is how he's presented here. That it, oh, if only we could all be raised by gorillas, uh, we too would be able to to immediately tell right from wrong. And you know, I don't know. It, it's I I found that not unsurprising. Again, I I, I think that's something. The seeds of that are there in Pocahontas. The 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 kind of I, savage is the is the derogatory term that the the British use for uh, for the Indians in that movie. But there is a sense that 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 community is is better than the 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 quote unquote civilized community. But uh-huh. one of the nice things about Pocahontas is in the song Savages, you see that both sides really are subject to these human frailties, and and that. That is not the sense I get from Tarzan. It's it's not that the the apes are uh, are just animals and thus you know need need to be treated with with respect by us. It's that in some ways they're better than us. Yeah, yeah. I mean that seems to be. <laughs> that, I mean that's definitely where Jane and the professor end up, right? Mm-hmm. Like they like when. So there's there's a moment in the movie where you think they're going to go back and that Tarzan's going to go back with them, um, like right before the the start of the third act, I guess, where is where that would break break would be, and um, you know they're excited and and he's going to meet uh, famous people, he's going to meet the Queen of England, he's going to meet Darwin, he's going to meet um, I forget who else they name dropped there, you know, uh, Kipling, but, who wrote the ju- yeah. the Jungle Book, yeah, um, uh, that'd be very, very appropriate, right, uh, <laughs> and then. Um, uh, and so they're they're also giving all that up, you know, like they're giving up not only society, but like the best that society has to offer. And they're also supposed to be I mean, they're obviously all supposed to be very 
very learned and um you know there's there's a whole song dedicated to tarzan trying to discover all the things that humanity has discovered um that he is not aware of you know and they go through the the i mean it's a it's a nicely done scene i, I like the uh the stylized way that they add you know, do the uh victorian era slides i guess you know that that kind of style of drawing um and that you know they're showing him the universe with the the telescope it's really nice and and yeah there's a real rejection of society a rejection of learning like a rejection of all of that um because people get lost in the jungle all the time (laughs) you know like is the way that that the professor phrases it as that as you know that's that's what they go off to do and and then yeah they are living a an extreme uh, you know, life there at the end, you know, just swinging through the vines and being tossed around by animals and, and just loving it, you know. Which people have so done, just... right? Jane Goodall famously lives with the gorillas, but I don't know, I don't, I haven't read Goodall, but I, I can't imagine she thinks of herself as a gorilla. There, there's still a, a kind of separation there that Tarzan obviously wouldn't wouldn't have because he grew up thinking of himself as a kind of weird looking gorilla. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the movie, he's the new silverback, which leads to all sorts of questions because I, I, I believe I believe uh, gorillas are, are uh, poly polyamorous, right? Yeah. So I'm not sure if he's yeah, supposed there's... to be impregnating the females in this pack or what. Uh, but Michael. save it for the sequel, right? That's so bad. Yeah, I mean you're you're right that uh, that it does raise those questions, but you had to say it out loud. <laughs> Well, but if you think about it, I, I, I'm being crass, I know, but I, th- there's a that that's going to do damage to this pack of gorillas. Like they're they're not they're not meant to live the way human beings live. And and right, yeah, like well, they need another silverback to to continue the like one of those one of those other little gorillas needs to grow up and be the next silverback. You yes. know, like Tarzan cannot do cannot fulfill the role. There's more to a gorilla family, which this movie's not about. But there is more to a gorilla family than just protecting the pack, which right. is, you know, that's the way that they present it. So Kerchak is the protector of the pack, and then Tarzan is now the new protector of the pack. And how does the pack perpetuate itself is, is left to our imaginations, I guess. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so maybe he's maybe he's just kind of uh, keeping the seat warm for the next silverback i don't know but it, there's there's something wrong at the end of this movie it, it feels it feels wrong and it would have been sad for him to leave his mother behind his his gorilla mother behind i i recognize that but it it just feels mm-hmm. um there's something grotesque about that final shot of the movie right yeah it's very it's i found it very dissatisfying also and like um I don't, I don't, I, so I find it kind of, um, interesting to compare it to Jungle Book in this sense, because with Jungle Book, he does, he leaves the jungle. Like, he realizes he has to leave the jungle and go, like, become a man by joining the village, you know? And then, you know, and as a kid, I hated that mm-hmm. because I liked the fantasy of living free in a jungle with Baloo and Bagheera and, and Shere Khan's gone now. Like, why can't he continue to do that? You know, but like, he has to grow up. Like he has to, um, and yeah, I'm sure we talked about that in the jungle book episode. I can't remember, but it seems like something we would have talked about. Um, but now it's the opposite, you know, like he doesn't leave. They, he actually brings other people in with him. And I don't know. I don't know if it's a change in, in, uh, 
the culture from the 60s to the to the late 90s or or if it's or what it is you know like like how it relates but like it's very interesting that they chose the opposite move in to end this film and that and it is it's a it's a reversion in a way you know like because he he doesn't it's like you said already like he doesn't grow in any way he doesn't change in any way he's now you know just continuing in in where he was and it, it's a fantasy um and a, a fantasy in a i hate to use fantasy in a derogatory way because i i really like the fantasy genre but i feel like a fantasy genre like it's it's to push you to be different in your own world right it's yeah. not to there's nothing about tarzan that teaches us about how we should how we should then behave in the world or how we should act in the world i guess Maybe. I would definitely recommend people not go live with wild animals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if that's an entirely fair critique because it's not like every movie needs to teach us how to behave in the world, but like, I don't know. There, it's just something, something just felt wrong about it to me also. Like it just, it just, it, it worsened the movie for me. What were your daughters, daughters unsettled by the ending of the movie? Um, they were unsettled more by the deaths and stuff. Sure. Like they didn't, the the movie didn't start well for them. They didn't, they didn't like that. Um, they liked kid Tarzan way more than adult Tarzan, sure. which I, I mean, I agree. Like that part of the movie I think is stronger. Like it's, it's more, it's more fun. Um, when he's a kid. Well, and, and also, uh, also the emotional stakes are higher. That scene where he's covering himself with mud because he wants to look like a gorilla. I, I found that mm-hmm. actually very moving. And the Glenn Close performance as his mother, Kala, is, is very, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I agree. But, I mean, how can I, be, how can I be moved by that and then also unsettled by the end of the movie, right? Because they really are of a piece. You, you, you know, you're a gorilla if, kind of if you want to be a gorilla. <laughs> but I, I, guess, yeah. I guess to me, being raised by gorillas <laughs> and is... is makes sense because there's not another option, right? If she hadn't rescued him, he would die. But at a certain point, like he was not made to be a gorilla. He was made to be a human being and live in human society. Right. And that's Jane's argument to him. But then that gets tossed out the window. Like, I don't know if it is all of a piece actually, because I mean, you're right. Like you can choose to be a gorilla in the way that, that his mother says, you know, I have a heartbeat. You have a heartbeat. Um, and it's just Kerchak that can't see that. And I, I mean, this is, I don't know, maybe this is another place where it's just like the themes feel a little warmed over and not as good, you know, like, um, like we had the, with Mulan, we had, I'm going to prove that I can fit in here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it was much better done than, or, I mean, in Hercules in some ways, you know, discovering who he is, you know, both of those movies, I feel like just did a better job than what Tarzan did. Um, you're you're right like that the the scene when he's trying to cover himself with mud and be something that he's not is appropriate at that time because there is no other option um and that that would but yeah i think that's why the movie gets worse once the other option shows up you know like once once the once the option is there for him not to be a gorilla then the the theme kind of shifts on them and they i don't feel like they they navigated that in a in a in a in a satisfying way. Let me try to read this as um, as positively as I can. I, I, I think there's an adoption allegory going on in this movie, right? 
Um, and mm-hmm. this was kind of ahead of its time because for a time in the early 21st century, it seems like every children's movie was about adoption. Um, and this one kind of got out in front of everything. But um, so if it's an adoption allegory, you don't want to send the message that you don't belong with the family that adopted you. You belong with the family that you came from. And and so if if mm-hmm. if they're thinking of it in those terms, I can definitely see why having Tarzan stay is a better message to uh, adopted children and the families of adopted children. Yeah, I mean that's that's really charitable. <laughs> <laughs> I and and I'm in favor of that. Like I think I think that is a that is a good that is a good message. Um, but it gets confused because the family he's adopted into is not a human family, but a family of gorillas. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little, it's a, uh, yeah, confused is a good word for it. I guess. <laughs> it's just muddled. It's just muddled. Like there's just, there's, I, I feel like it's a hard, to, hard to draw a line from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie. Like they, they tried to, and, and in some ways they were, they pulled it off. Like um, obviously the, you know, the touching of hands together, the hearing of the heartbeat and stuff like that, like that, that kind of travels with you through the entire movie. You get Kerchak at the end, kind of giving him that blessing of like, I, I'm sorry, you were always in this family. And you get the line of, of Tarzan, you know, Kerchak says, you came back and Tarzan says, I came home, which is, I think that's meant to be a really like, you know, powerful moment. Um, the, the problem is, what you said like it's it's confused and muddled by the whole middle part of the movie because yeah you actually do need him to to change in some way and he doesn't mm-hmm. <laughs> i guess it's yeah it's the the b the b story doesn't fully resolve and this actually it feels like something got cut out or rewritten or something because so during this whole like you know second act where he's you know, he's with the humans. He's learning what it means to be a human. Um, he's avoiding the gorillas. So he goes home at night, but he leaves. Like, we see very little of him, like, actually the fallout of that, where, like, he's pulling away from his mother. He's pulling away from his best friend, Turk, and um, Tantor. But then you get you get a little bit of it when, you know, Turk has a little tan- temper tantrum uh, when he leaves, and like or when he appears to be leaving on the boat and Tantor says to him like I'm sick of your emotional constipation but like all of that like we didn't ever actually see that side of things happen yeah you know what I mean um it was just brushed over a little too fast or something it felt it felt like something was missing so they do stretch it out a little more with the mother because you do get the mother um taking him to his to his childhood whatever bungalow <laughs> <laughs> nest i think they, they called it in oh no his treehouse yeah his treehouse yeah so so you get a little more of the the pulling away of the mother but by that point he's ready to go so like it yeah i don't know um this is the first genuinely bad disney movie we've seen since i think sword in the stone I, I think I think this is worse than movies that we saw as imperfect, like uh, The Black Cauldron or The Fox and the Hound. 
this is just a, a a really a lousy movie that is exceptionally well made. <laughs> yeah, and that's I think where it hurts because it is really well made, and we we should get back to that and stop like just trashing the movie because I I don't like it where we just you know get here and but you're right like I actually so you know I have a little running like um, list of all the movies we've watched and kind of the order that I would you know place them in and it is low on my list you know it does it does beat out for me it does beat out um, Fox and the Hound but like it's still yeah it's it's quite a ways down there because and and it hurts to put it down so far because um i think this this is a kind of movie where they just the on the artistry side they're they don't make it movies like this at all anymore you know it's like unbelievably well animated yeah and maybe in so as i was watching it i actually had this so um I don't know, about a year, what, a year and a half ago now, I guess, maybe. Um, I went, I, I was visiting New York City and I went to, um, the cloisters, which I highly recommend if anybody is looking at visiting New York City, make sure you go to the cloisters. Um, what is the cloisters? And, um, it's, uh, it's a, like a wing of, um, the, the Met, the museum, but it's, it's in a separate, it's not with the Met, like down near Central Park. Like it's it's in a it's another it's in another part of the city, and it's a uh, so it's a museum. But they built it out of, um, it's it's meant to evoke like a, a monastery type place, like they, and in the way that it's built. And then they've got and they've got more fine art there. And they, that's where the um, uh, what's it called, the Hunt of the Unicorn is. Uh-huh. It's seven. Um, tapestries uh, or tapestries of, of you know the story of a unicorn and while I was there and I was on the tour and the, the tour guide talked about with these tapestries that they are so finely made that it's not that we don't even know how they were made like we've like we're so far removed from that type of loom weaving art that it's not even like that we can say like oh yeah this is really good and we can't like we don't have the skill to do it anymore. Like we don't even know, like what the skills were. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's a really like it's a lost art form. So we just have this like these beautiful tapestries, but that like no one could even go about making them if they wanted to at this point. You know, like we've lost all knowledge of like like how these things are made. And um, I was thinking about that with this movie. Like we really ha- like two D animation, hand drawn animation. Um, like it still exists in pockets, you know, like Studio Ghibli's around and stuff, but like no one's doing anything like what Tarzan was doing. It's hard you know? to imagine anybody doing 2D animation that would be better than this, that's for sure. Yeah. Although there's quite a bit of 3D too. And and one thing I'll say about the 3D, you know, the last six episodes or so, I've always been able to point out the 3D scene. Uh, I don't know where they were in this movie. I know they used 3D. <laughs> But it's so seamlessly integrated into the the hand drawn animation that it's invisible, and and that is a that is a high compliment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did a they did a really nice job. Um, the technology that the the name they had for it at that time was uh, Deep Canvas, and so they'd actually um, it's still painted, um, you know, just digitally with a stylus and stuff um, to do the backgrounds, but um, because it's 
painted digitally, they could, you know, they could flip the camera into all directions and paint from multiple directions. And that's why you get those, those crazy scenes of, you know, uh, Tarzan whipping through the forest, um, or whipping through the jungle rather. Um, and everything still looks painted, um, because they, they did paint it. They just painted it digitally. So really, yeah, really remarkably done. I'm trying to think if there's anything after this that might might top it in terms of hand-drawn animation. And I remember thinking that Brother Bear, which is also a terrible movie, the best I can remember, has really gorgeous background animation as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I wonder if maybe it, it'll rival this one. But, uh, man, because when we saw the, the Lion King, I thought, oh, well... Nothing's going to be able to top the Lion King, but uh, this this sure did. It's it's mm-hmm. unbelievably well made. Yeah, which just makes it all the more glaring that the movie's not very good. Yeah, yeah. It almost. I mean, in some ways, it, it well, it doesn't really save it for me. I was going to say it almost saves it for me, but it doesn't. Well, I would say it makes it a better. Super. I would say it makes it a better movie than something like The Aristocats. Um, because the Aristocats is not a beautiful movie either, <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you know. Yeah, yeah. Or I, I mean, I imagine that's why you like it better than the, uh, the Fox and the Hound. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be that because, yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, what else? What else to say about it? It is. It's just. It's really incredible where, what what they were able to accomplish in such a short amount of time too. Like the you know this is the the Renaissance era of Disney as I mentioned at the beginning, and I mean even even looking at Little Mermaid, which is a, a great movie, like the and the, has some really nice animation. Like it's just it's you know ten years later they're just in a in an entirely different like. It's a way, way different level <laughs> of just what they were able to do. So it's interesting how that, how, how the, how, how animation progresses and kind of fits and starts, right? If you, if we're looking at the Disney canon, the the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is this huge revolution in um, in animation, and you see it getting better in Pinocchio and you see it getting better in uh in Fantasia and then they run out of money and they put out Dumbo which is you know I think a better movie than those first three but it's not as well animated and then mm-hmm. then they make Bambi which in in some ways is still the most beautiful of the Disney movies even even if it's not as technologically advanced as Tarzan mm-hmm. what they did with with nothing but hand-drawn animation in that movie is amazing and then you know you you get all those great movies of the fifties with the with with uh, uh, again more and more beautiful animation, and then they run out of money again. And for two and a half decades, they have this rotoscope or uh, I'm sorry, it's not rotoscope. What is the what is the process they use? The Xerox process? Oh yeah, the that's what it's called the Xerox xeroxography or something like that they have that which which is not without its charms but which feels like a step back even from the movies right before it um and 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 then all of a sudden something happens in the in the late 80s and and they just have this incredible run of uh of technological and artistic innovations and some of it is technological right some of it is they have the money to develop these technologies but some of it just seems like they were inspired again in a way that they had not been inspired for the last several decades 
Mm-hmm. The movies were feeling tired by the end, right? I mean, when we when we watched uh, Oliver and Company, we felt like we we wanted the next thing to come along, right? We felt it coming. And I, I wonder if it felt that way at the time, too, if they felt that exhaustion and that mm-hmm. longing for something different. And, yeah. And, and in some ways, Tarzan is the peak of that something different. And in some ways, you feel Tarzan as an exhaustion of the process we've just watched yeah well and i well that's interesting that's a really interesting way to put it i don't know if i felt it as an exhaustion but it is like a somehow they kept advancing um artistically but they were deteriorating story-wise yeah (laughs) you know which we've already mentioned like we've already mentioned like they did these same sort of story elements better even even just comparing renaissance films to renaissance films you know just you know um they they did these things better and so somehow the stories were (laughs) were getting worse while the while artistically they were getting better and better yeah no i think i think that's right well what's interesting is that exhaustion is going to lead not to another innovation but to a, a really a really weak period that we're about to head into Right. And I think, well, part of that, I think, though, is um, because the the other innovation that's happening during the Renaissance is the rise of Pixar. Right. And Pixar is doing it's like they they fix they Disney, for whatever reason, picked the wrong thing to fix. So Pixar is hitting these incredibly high beats. Um, that Disney is not able to counter. And rather than say, well, our art is, you know, tremendous. <laughs> we just need to grab, you know, some of their story element. They said they looked at Pixar's art and they said, yeah, well, we, we need to do that too. We need to start, you know, going completely computer animated. Yeah. So when, when Home on the Range flops in 2004, they say, well, people obviously don't want 2D film anymore. I haven't mm-hmm. seen Home on the Range. But I suspect that what people don't want is crappy movies in 2D animation. And and I know this mm-hmm. because the movies that the first 3D movies that Disney makes are equally crappy. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can't imagine anybody liking Chicken Little, which is a movie I have unfortunately seen and will unfortunately have to <laughs> see again. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> but you're, you're you're right. The um the they learn exactly the wrong lesson from the success of Pixar. And we haven't been talking about the Pixar movies. Maybe when we're done with the Disney movies, we'll go back um, and, and look at the Pixar ones. Uh, and, you know, at a certain point that distinction becomes artificial, but here in the nineties, it's not artificial. Like that's a, I don't, I don't remember when Disney buys Pixar, but certainly Disney has no, um, has no real creative control over something like toy story or what's yeah. coming out in 99 bugs life. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know my years on Pixar I, I movies, either. but yeah. It must be some time yeah, around no, then because Woody Allen was supposed to play Tantor and they, uh, Katzenberg lured him away to be in that movie Ants that was came out the same mm-hmm. time as A Bug's Life and everybody hated. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Katzenberg plays real dirty uh, right in this. I mean, we've talked about Katzenberg so much on this show, but like, <laughs> it, so he breaks up with Disney and it's an ugly breakup because he was he was vying for like a presidency and instead gets the boot. 
And um, so then he goes and founds his own uh, studio with DreamWorks. And yeah, there's there's I mean, he grabs um, Stephen Schwartz, uh, who did, you know, did the music for Pocahontas um, to come over and do the music for uh, I think he did the music for um, Prince of Egypt. I'm speaking uh, off the top of my head now, so I'm not, some of my facts might be wrong. But like, yeah, he grabs him. He grabs uh, Woody Allen. You know, like uh, he he knows what's in the line at Pixar. I mean, he's got to know what's in the line at the Pixar with the Bugs Life, and he and he so quickly produces ants. Like, um, yeah, it's it, ants with a Z re- in the most '90s <laughs> title ever. Yeah, but yeah, plays plays real real dirty there for a little while. Um, yeah, not a not a not a nice nice thing but i mean i think getting back to what you're talking about like this remarkable change like katzenberg we in some ways we have to credit him for that like he's he's one who came in and said like hey the animations department can make really good movies and can compete with cinema you know like if you want to you know try and distinguish it in that way like like and i feel like tarzan is is the end in some ways of that chain you know like tarzan is a um it's a cinematic movie you know like if it feels like of the time very much so you know like for for good and for ill so that that inspired bit of like hey we can actually make something really good let's do that like a lot of that came from katzenberg and also from uh, uh eisner yeah who who we we also have a lot of nasty things to although I I think Eisner's real negative legacy on Disney is the parks what mm. what he did to the parks but uh it's all it's all of a piece yeah I, yeah and and it it's it's good that you remind us of that Josh that Katzenberg for all his incompetencies and vulgarities um is responsible for a lot of good things in the Disney canon mhm yeah. And the Pixar can I mean you talked about the uh the 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 lack of control that that Disney has over Pixar at that time. I think Katzenberg's notes on uh you know Woody oh, <laughs> or, gosh. Or, what, that he was too nice or something. Yeah, like, he wanted I mean, him to be like a David Spade type, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, and then he actually I think well, I, I don't I don't want to be unfair to Katzenberg, but I believe it was also him who was really pushing for Toy Story 2 to be like a direct to video release and they started writing it in that way and then the 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 folks at Pixar kind of revolted and were like, "No, we're not doing this. We're going to write a we're going to make a good movie." You yeah, know. Good for them. And, uh, yeah, and so in in some ways you know. When famously, when Lasseter, John Lasseter, who who was the head of Pixar, when he took over as head of animation at Disney, he canceled all the direct-to-video sequels. So mm-hmm. we have him to think. I know that he is a controversial figure now because of some Me Too stuff, but we do mm-hmm. have him to thank for for pulling Disney out of that um, morass. And he does so not by increasing the technology budget, but by making good stories again, which mm-hmm. which. Our love for Robin Hood should show you that it's not just it's not just the way the movie looks that makes the movie great, right? Robin Hood mm-hmm. looks incredibly crappy. It's it's a very <laughs> cheap movie, and yet I mean it's top five for me. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know how you feel about it, but I I'm... Uh, I I really like it. I don't know if I have it in top five, but I definitely definitely a lot higher than this one. Right. Um, yeah, it's top ten for me for sure. Um, 
yeah, it's it's yeah, and that's that's a that's the thing is that's interesting. And I guess this is interesting, like, not only, like, you can use Disney as a lens to look in a lot of different areas, right? But, like, Disney consistently learns the wrong lessons from its successes yep. and the wrong lessons from its failures, <laughs> you know? Like, it's it's right there in its own history, its own past. Like, hey, we can make a really good movie, uh, like Robin Hood, or, or even all the way back to Dumbo, you know? Right. Like, yeah, it's not about the money or the technology or whatever. Um, yeah, it's right. The seeds of it are right there, and they just keep they keep harvesting the wrong thing. <laughs> well, and they're still doing it, right? Because Bob Iger, who was president until relatively recently, said that Disney was not going to make any more movies that weren't um, sequels or uh, live action remakes. Yeah good plan <laughs> it'll work for a while but eventually it won't work yeah yeah you know and and he's getting that from the success of the mcu and the mcu mm -hmm. is successful i think not because it's a bunch of sequels but because those those movies are by and large really well done you know yeah they're they're mm -hmm. they're appealing movies that aren't just appealing because they have a a, a name stamped on them and I, I think that's the error they've been making with these star wars movies they assume, probably rightly, that any movie that comes out with a Star Wars name on it is going to make a billion dollars. But, uh, Lord, uh, I can't remember the last time I enjoyed a Star Wars movie. <laughs> I, I like <laughs> Rogue I'll, One. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. See, Rogue One, I... Yeah. We don't need it. We could, we could turn this into a Star Wars podcast. Um, we could, but I'd be uh, on liked, my element. Yeah. I liked the new trilogy more than I've liked Rogue One or... I didn't even see... Um, solo i didn't see solo either. Um, which is which is a crazy thing for for me to hear myself uttering that that there's a star wars movie that i was like eh, i'm not gonna watch that but but i knew i wasn't gonna like i knew i wasn't gonna care for it um and, and we, <laughs> so we was, see all the mcu movies so I, like i'm really not opposed to to sequels or to these shared universes but like there's a good way to do it and a bad way to do it and i think mc the mcu has been protected from a lot of the kind of negative igarian influences by the fact that kevin feige has creative control over it and he he's a lassiter-esque visionary i think mm -hmm. yeah so that's interesting so yeah two things to say on that i guess one one to tie it back into tarzan just in case anybody's still wondering if we're talking about that movie so um <laughs> chris chris buck was one of the co-directors on this movie and he's also a co-director on frozen and frozen too so so he's he's still around and he's still doing the uh the sequel oh, thing, interesting which, I mean, I guess this, this movie is connected right they've they've confirmed that tarzan is elsa and anna's brother what yeah so you know there's this shipwreck in frozen and and i, I believe there was a fan theory that <laughs> it's the same shipwreck as the beginning of this movie and i think i think disney confirmed that oh i didn't know disney confirmed it yeah and and yeah, Ursula is the one who caused the shipwreck. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, that's funny. Oh, that's yeah. That is that's really interesting. Does the do the parents look right? I don't I have remember. To I haven't seen at, Frozen since it came what out. What the parents look like in Frozen, and the parents look like in Tarzan. The woman that's has red really... hair. She did look kind of like Anna. Yeah, that's so interesting. I need to yeah, I need to check those out. I'm always uh, unhappy when fan theories 
uh, get a little too much weight in official channels. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. What's that? The there's this weird um, there's that weird tension there, right? Um, it's I mean I, I'm so I'm thinking of uh, mass cult and mid cult uh-huh. again. Um, which you introduced me to, um, and there's there's an absolutely fabulous episode on mass cult, mid cult, on the Christian humanist, uh, whatever your 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 main show Christian is, humanist Christian podcast. humanist if, podcast. If people yeah. are interested in hearing me and Nathan argue, <laughs> actually about it's, the MCU. You know, yeah, it's it all ties back together. Anyway, so like there's something there about like you know the folk art, you know, has been eaten up by this like pop culture. Uh, thing right right um and so yeah like the fan the fan theories are kind of the you know the what the avenue for folk art (laughs) now is kind of the the fan fan work i feel like um and but then that creates this weird tension where like you want to you want to be excited about it but it also it it does create this i don't know it's just weird it's a weird i'm not i'm not being very coherent right now but um i i, I just i just think i just there's something <laughs> there's something of the focus group in allowing the fans to have too much say in what happens yeah yeah so like you want to cheer the fact that it's like popular like from the people art but then it like yeah, when it becomes a focus group, that's where you lose like that visionary element of a of a Kevin Feige or a a, a John Lasseter or, or whoever or who or or you know Walt Disney. Yeah, or Walt Disney. Yeah, which is actually the second thing I wanted to say is like that we we haven't talked about this in a very long time, but I remember some of our early shows we were trying to figure this out. Like, is it is it a? I mean, because there's so many people that work on these movies, um, but you know how much weight does that does that visionary person have to actually create something amazing you know mm-hmm. and is that part of what's lacking here uh at this era in or at the, yeah at this point in disney as the as the renaissance comes to a close yeah yeah i don't know and to me the difference between eisner and disney or eisner and lassiter might be instructive here that eisner is not an artist Eisner is a CEO, you know, he's a pencil mm-hmm. pusher. Yeah. And you need those guys, you know, mm-hmm. w- yeah. Walt needed Roy or else nothing ever would have gotten done. But when those guys run the show, you're missing something. I say that mm-hmm. though, but you know, the most of the nineties are, are pretty unimpeachable. Yeah, definitely. Even, even the ones that I had remembered as not being very good turned out to be very good, you know? Like I, I uh-huh. had remembered Pocahontas and Hunchback as being pretty weak, and and uh-huh. I, you know I think those are, are are really good movies. Mm-hmm. This is this is the only one from the Renaissance, um, unless you're counting Rescuers Down Under, that I would, you know, I, I would say is worse than, uh, than the average Disney movie. Yeah, yeah, I put, uh, yeah, Rescuers Down Under would be would be the bottom of my renaissance films and the, so th- this one does beat it out beat out that one at least if you but. if you even consider that one a renaissance film which I, I think there's an argument to do so and an argument not to do so right well yeah if you're just if you're going purely chronologically then it, it's it's in the timeline but if you if you wanted to group movies in a different way then you could and it would make sense too yeah Well, should we talk about some of the uh, voice acting? 
Yeah, let's do that. Uh, we've already mentioned Glenn Close as Kala, and I, you know, Glenn Close is a world class actress, and I, th- I think this is a very, very good performance from her in a in a role that probably wasn't terribly easy to get a handle on. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 a thankless part in its way, but it, it does end up being the heart of the movie. Uh, unfortunately, I would say it's the only really excellent vocal performance in the movie. I don't know. I don't know how you feel. Um. Yeah, I well, <laughs> Rosie, Rosie O'Donnell didn't bother me as much as, as she bothered you. Um. <laughs> and I should say, by the way, that I like Rosie O'Donnell in general. I used to watch her talk show every day after school. Um, like I, I'm not I'm not anti Rosie O'Donnell, um, yeah. but I I find that character deeply annoying, and her performance is is really annoying. Yeah. See, I and yeah, I feel like you're a little more in in tune with the voice performances than I am um, in general, like as we've gone through these, um, I feel like she, she did the best that she could with the part she was given. Um, like I just, like I said earlier, like it, it just feels like something like a beat was missing from that character's mm-hmm. story arc. It felt very nineties, you, know? like you know, it's very like totally radical. Yeah. Extreme. We just lost. Yeah. Which, I mean, to be fair, is kind of, you know, the, the style is, style that they were going for with Tarzan. Like, I mean, he, some of He's a some of his moves and stuff, yeah, he, or, yeah, um, I think um, Tony Hawk is the other one that they were looking at, mm. you know, like the way, the way his body moves and stuff. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, it, it kind of, you know, it kind of fits in, in that sense. Um and Tantor, you know, Wayne, Wayne Knight, is that his name? Wayne Knight, yeah, Newman from Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah Newman. <laughs> I always want to call him Wayne Newman. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was double-checking myself. Did I get it right? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I thought he was fine, he, his Tantor. He's fine. Um, I, I, he doesn't have a lot to say. Right, The ca- uh, and again, the, the line there between the voice acting performance and the way the character is written is a is a thin one. Yeah. Uh, Ker- Kerchak... I feel like has the right amount of, of gravitas that he needs. Does he? I found I found that performance to be kind of gimmicky. Mm. Yeah. I don't remember I, the that, actor's name. Fair. He's not. I, I don't think he's somebody I'd heard of before. Yeah. What do you think about Clayton? Clayton is Brian Blessed, who is um, one of the most notorious over actors in recent film history. That that's just kind of his thing. <laughs> so when you hire Brian Blessed, you know what you're getting. Uh, to give you some idea, on TV tropes, his name is always spelled in all caps with a exclamation point after it. <laughs> He's, he, I, I think that character would have been served better if he had been given some nuance, either in the writing or in the vocal performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this, this is the only thing I know about the voice acting from, from this is that uh, the Brian Blessed actually does all the Tarzan screams also. Oh, does he? Because, uh, <laughs> the Tarzan yeah, screams the guy, are very good. Yeah, the guy who uh, plays Tarzan, he couldn't he couldn't get him, so Brian Blessed did the did the Tarzan scream. Well, that's that's also interesting because in the books, Tarzan and Clayton are cousins. Oh, interesting. Uh, I find the mini driver performance as Jane to be sixty percent annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Not all the what time, about, but in, no. in general, I don't like that performance. The one thing I find interesting about Jane is that 
the sexual desire is entirely on her side. Yeah, that's true. Which you know is progressive in its way, and and it's played for laughs sometimes. You, you um, and and she does a good job, I guess, in those scenes. But in general, I think that performance is too big. And again, is that her fault or is it the fault of the writers? I don't know. But it it kind of yeah. congeals into this unappealing <laughs> character to me. Uh, should I give you in the black helmet? It's pretty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pretty pretty good line <laughs> her father seems warmed over from other fathers of the disney renaissance uh, in particular maurice from beauty and the beast yeah yeah i think that's right second a second go around at maurice yeah it really does yeah. in, in a lot of ways feel like this movie was constructed with cigarette butts left over from previous disney renaissance movies mm-hmm yeah, I'm not quite sure what happened there, but yeah, you're right. Like it's, and maybe it's just that exhaustion. Like, like you were saying, like maybe they just, you know, maybe you can only push yourself in a direction for so long, you know, before, before things do just, you know, fizzle out or whatever. But just, yeah, it seems like a lot of, not leftover as exactly, but just you know things that they touched on. It, it, there's there. So what I was feeling was there's not really a clean like clear explicit theme in this movie and it's just like a bunch of like these other kind of you know wrapped up in there um is kind of how i felt about it i think the adoption that you mentioned earlier is the closest thing we have to something unique in this movie right um and they're gonna do that better in a few years with lilo and stitch anyway Yes, yeah, they're going to do it way better for Lilo and Stitch. Way, way better. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't even mentioned the guy who plays Tarzan, whose name I can't remember, because the performance is so undistinguished. Oh. Yeah. Which is unfortunate, because, again, like, the the drawing and the animation of, of Tarzan is, is really incredible, so be nice if it would have been matched with a with an incredible vocal performance i I thought they did a really good job animating the way somebody raised by gorillas would walk the way he walks kind of like a gorilla Mm -hmm. on the other hand i thought the facial animation on tarzan was really off-putting that he he looks weird yeah you know he he kind of looks like um 2020 era weirdo yankovic Not the classic Weird Al with the uh, with the Hawaiian shirts and the and the glasses, but like Weird Al after his makeover. The, maybe that's the, maybe that's the look that maybe that's the look that Weird Al is going for. I, I think maybe it might have been. Movie. He's not he's not quite as buff as Tarzan though. He saw this movie and he was like, "That's it. That's the next. <laughs> that's my that's my new no, look." I feel like I feel like they did, and I you know I tried to look. I always try and watch like the background stuff. Um, and I, I didn't find a lot for this movie. So I don't know, you know, we, we talked about with like, um, with Aladdin, um, you know, that, that they were going for a specific style and all the characters are kind of styled in the same way. Um, I assume they did something like that here as well, because all the, all the humans have kind of a very pointed, or at least Jane and Tarzan, uh, and Clayton all, all have this kind of pointed look. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure why they did that. I, but, I wonder if um, it's to, to distinguish them from the apes who were very rounded. Yeah, that could be. That's all it was. It's just to 
a, a distinguishing feature. But you're right, like on that part of their humanity, they do look weird. But I mean, we've seen some weird looking humans True. in this <laughs> over the years. And yeah, I, I mean, going back to, um, you know, the idea of like Bambi as being the pinnacle, you know, they spent so much time in Bambi really trying to understand the, the animals. And I think they did a lot of time um, really trying to understand the anatomy of gorillas, the anatomy of of, a, of of humans and how humans would move and and yeah like exactly how what you said like how a human would move if it was raised by gorillas um like how the musculature and and things would actually look and work and so i feel like on that side they really they nailed it yeah i, I would agree like the an the animation is really good it's just the character design is kind of un, again unsettling is the word i keep coming back to with this movie yeah yeah i mean my daughter said it like as soon as he transferred from uh small tarzan to big tarzan she was like why is his chin so pointy <laughs> <laughs> i don't know <laughs> it definitely does give him a weird look one thing we haven't really talked about is the music um it, it was a big flop the music was uh and I, I think part of that was people were just kind of sick of phil collins because he'd had so many hits in the 80s and 90s <laughs> that's so not fair wow why do we like tearing people down who like have done great <laughs> i i will you say that the, the, like the music does not sound like it's from 1999 it sounds very much like a phil collins album from about 1981 mm -hmm. so it, it must it, it feels less dated today because the distinction between 81 and 99 is so much less to us than it was at mm -hmm. the time at the time it must have felt very very dated yeah so I I like the soundtrack. I do not like the way the soundtrack and the movie interact. I feel like um, what we've what we've been seeing for quite a while is that a lot of the themes and 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 things in the movies are really explicitly stated through the songs, uh -huh. and um, and to the point where like Stephen Schwartz, I think it was with the Pocahontas, I think. Um, in an interview that like he he was talking about himself basically like a co-screenwriter you know like the stuff that the songs do to help shape the story or were so important to him and getting the lyrics right and it really just doesn't seem like phil collins like it seems like he kind of you know saw the treatment of the movie and and scribbled some notes down and and went with it you know and maybe there's some deeper stuff there like you mentioned the son of man earlier like maybe maybe he was you know maybe it's just it's deeper than what i'm getting <laughs> but it just i don't know for me it just it didn't it didn't resonate with the film the way that but but on the other hand i can sit down and listen to these songs and like enjoy them just as songs i think so. what you're talking about is the difference between somebody who's used to writing musical theater and somebody who's used to writing pop albums, mm. you know, because the songs in musical theater are part of the, the plot and the songs on a pop album can stand on their own. Yeah. That is probably what I'm, what I'm getting at. Although Elton John seemed to be fine with the Lion King. Right? Yeah. And I think Elton John, um, like Billy Joel for that matter, uh, kind of straddles those two worlds. Mm. El Elton, Elton John in some ways, well, actually, you know, I say that Elton John didn't write the lyrics. Uh, Tim Rice wrote the lyrics, and, and, and oh, Tim Rice is right. a Broadway guy. That's right. Yeah. So I, I think I think so that's the go. difference. 
there you go. That's exactly the difference. I should have known that. I, I like some of the songs. I like Two Worlds, One Family probably best. Mm-hmm. Or whatever the song is called. I I didn't bother looking up the names yeah, of the songs. I think it's just it's called Two Worlds. I should say I haven't I hadn't seen this movie until three or four days ago. I've watched it twice. Um, well, kind of one and a half times because I fell asleep uh, part, for part <laughs> of the second time, which is not a, not a great sign, right? <laughs> right. That's funny. I'm so I watched it when it came out, um, and like, yeah, I wasn't you know without having viewed them critically in the way that we do now, you know, like really trying to pay attention to it and really get something out of it. Um, I just thought it was fine. And I thought, I think I probably would have said prior to this discussion um, and, you know, sitting down and thinking about it, that it was just, it came out at the wrong time for me, you know, like uh, I think I mentioned last month that this is, you know, my brother who's 10 years younger than me, it's one of his favorite movies. So, you know, it just hit him at the right time. But I do think there's more to it than just what time you see a movie. Like, I, I do think that, you know, we've we've unpacked some of the reasons why this is just not as strong a movie as as some of the movies that came before it. But so. you said it was the highest grossing Renaissance picture. No, not. It's the highest one since Lion King. Oh, okay. So it did better than, what, Pocahontas, Mulan, um, Hunchback, Hercules. It did better than all oh, of those. Oh, that's interesting. Because I, I, I thought people thought of it as a flop. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, like on the... Um, <clears throat> I think I was looking at the tomato meter or whatever um from rotten tomatoes i think it's i think it's ranked higher than uh mulan and hercules and hunchback also oh interesting but maybe that's not right i'm not sure definitely for myself it's not as we've mentioned a couple times already <laughs> right as we might as we might have mentioned, we don't we don't like this movie <laughs> it's not even that i don't like it it's just that it's like you know it's just it's just of the movies we've watched it's there's just a lot more that I mean, we're on movie 37, right? So, like, not every movie is going to be in the top five or the top ten. Like, But, but this, yeah, one's this one's bottom five so far, right? Or bottom ten at least. Yeah, probably bottom ten, I would say. It's better than some of the package movies. Yeah. Speaking of hideous human character design. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, yeah, bottom ten. <clears throat> and, I mean, but, um, unfortunately, we've still got about half we're only about halfway through the canon so as as the canon grows it it, it may stay in bottom 10 we'll see here's a question at the time did they have a sense that this was the last movie in the disney renaissance because that was a term they were definitely already using in the 90s and i I wonder if they saw this as the culmination of something yeah i wonder too because so i didn't know when things started being called the renaissance like i wasn't sure when that like name got attached to it um, but you know, the next, the next one that's coming out is Fantasia 2000. Uh-huh. And I feel like, you know, that they had to feel like maybe they were still in the moment, you know, like to be, to, to take, to undertake something like Fantasia, like you're doing a callback to the golden era. Like, did they feel like they were still in the golden era? And yet, and, well, and yet it's a very different kind of movie than this is. And then the one after that is another movie that's very, um, ambitious uh dinosaur it's their first 3d animated movie but again Mm -hmm. they can't have imagined that that 
that was part of this same the same um, project that produced the Lion King and Tarzan. And, and then after that, you've got like Emperor's New Groove, which is a very different kind of movie, a much a much smaller movie. Mm-hmm. So I, I wonder if even at the time they felt like this was as far as they could take the thing they've been doing since Little Mermaid. Maybe. And and so an interesting way to kind of characterize the Renaissance films also is that they were trying to kind of recapture that like classic story, like, you know, Snow White, Cinderella, Pinocchio. And they did that with a few of them, right? Like they did that with Little Mermaid. And then it's they started expanding that genre a little bit with, you know, movies like Pocahontas and Mulan um, and Tarzan. And then you're right that they continue that sort of thread in the, uh, like with Atlantis and Treasure Planet. Oh, I forgot about Maybe. those two. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they go a different direction, I think, with uh, Emperor's New Groove, Lilo and Stitch. Like they're going for more like cartoony. original stories. Well, right? yeah, well, and those are those are much more cartoony movies. Yeah, they're more cartoony, but like those are the continue to be hand drawn, right? Um whereas Atlantis and Treasure Planet are more in the they're more computer animated, aren't they? I've never seen them. I haven't seen them either. Yeah. I think I think I mean maybe I'm speaking way out of turn here, but I feel like maybe they they were pressing that sort of like let's continue the fantastic fairy tale stories with and maybe i don't know now i'm now i'm doubting myself as i started to talk about it so i'll have to, I'll have to give that more thought so i was going to say at the beginning of this movie that i was going to ask you to convince me i'm wrong because i wanted to like it more than i did but i i think i think i i'm not convinced yeah. that that i should liked it more so no me, me neither <laughs> and and victoria said it was the first Disney movie she felt disappointed at as a as a child, which is you know mm. something we all go through at one point or another. You when you're a, yeah. when you're a kid, you just assume there aren't bad movies. Yeah, that's right, because <laughs> you don't have any taste. Right, <laughs> right. So I guess she would have been 13 when this came out, which is probably about the age when you start to develop taste. On the positive side, I will say that this movie does seem to carry some DNA forward into like. Um, into the Spider-Verse, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, I feel like. I was thinking there was something kind of Spider-Man-ish about the way uh, way Tarzan was animated as well. Yeah, and like, yeah, I I have to feel like the, you know, the artists who are working on on Into the Spider-Verse would have at least referenced some of this maybe maybe not but it seems like if you're if you're in the animation industry you're probably pretty well versed in in most things animation and so um that's a that's a much much better movie than this one but it's it's kind of cool to see the the um the dna of different things pop up in in different places they should just cut this movie to where it's just the action scenes put the phil collins soundtrack over the top and forget about it being a a movie you know yeah mm-hmm. yeah the uh what, what would you call that cut they always have the names for <laughs> not the director's cut you know but like the uh <laughs> tarzan none of the crap <laughs> <laughs> just the howling and swinging <laughs> 
Because, yeah, I mean, anytime there's an action sequence in this movie, it's just amazing. From mm-hmm. from the the scene of the leopard killing the baby uh, gorilla to the... Uh, we haven't even talked about the amazing sequence with the baboons chasing Jane... Uh, mm-hmm. and, and Tarzan rescuing her to the to the big fight at the end. All of that stuff is really good. It's just like the the plot parts, the acting parts of the movie that that's so bad. It's like the animators didn't realize how bad this movie was when they were animating it, and they spent way mm-hmm. more time than they should have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Or maybe they thought they could save it. Yeah. You know, I, I imagine if you're an animator, that's that's how you ha- you have to think. You have to think my drawing is going to save this this bad line or whatever. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just the, the a trailer a trailerized version of of this movie that just has the music and the and the action would be really cool. I also think maybe if I had seen it in the theater, I would have been so overwhelmed by the spectacle of it that I would have forgiven the non-action parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. than I am capable of doing watching it on a screen. And we couldn't even yeah. watch it on our TV. We watched it on a laptop. So I, I think being um, being overwhelmed um, can be very powerful. Right, yeah. And this is a movie that kind of asks for that, right? Like, this is a movie that's definitely more asking for you to just get swept up in it and get swept up into those action sequences and, and the, you know pulled into the background with a you know with the those amazing depth of painting things that they did um yeah it's 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 asking for that theatrical experience so it is a little unfair for us to 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 break it apart this way maybe so there is that that's an interesting thing about our world (laughs) at this point right like you like for people making movies like if that's your art form like there's a there's a way in which um you can make a movie that's really great for the theater and for like a single a single watch experience you know where it really just like feels like a ride and takes you on the ride um but then it doesn't it doesn't withstand multiple viewings or you know, a deep, a deep breakdown or whatever, you know? Well, I, I remember that... seeing Moulin Rouge in the theater and being just blown away by this movie. Um, enough so that I bought the DVD when it came out and my, mm-hmm. my word, it's a terrible movie. <laughs> it's, it's just, yeah. it's just awful. But something about being in that theater, being surrounded by the sound. And I, I mean, talk about a spectacle and maybe Tarzan yeah. would have been the same way. I don't know. Like I said, Maybe. I didn't see it. Yeah. I was 17 when it came out and, you know, too cool to see a Disney movie. Yeah. It's Yeah. What's the C.S. Lewis line? You you grow out of being a child and then later you have to grow out of like being afraid of being a child. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think maybe that's part of what we do here. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Even if it makes us well, watch some bad movies. We can, we can hope. We can hope that that's what's going on here. Yeah. All right. So we're at the end of well, the 90s, which means we've got another interlude next month. Yeah, and we're going way back to the beginning of the 90s, so it'll be a definite uh, <laughs> a definite swing in our uh, level of animation quality. But we're going to watch um, DuckTales Adventures of the Lost Lamp. Tre- Treasure of the Lost Lamp. 
Treasure of the Lost Land. I wrote it down wrong in my little here. Sorry. Treasure of the Lost Land. I loved which... this movie when I was a kid, so we'll see uh, we'll see how it holds up. Okay. <laughs> I watched it once in college too and I liked it then too. So 20 years later, okay. let's see if I still if I'm still into yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like uh there's well it'll be interesting to see to see if uh can can Webby Gale withstand your your disregard for all things cute? It's true. And... Will, will I hate Will I hate Webby Gale? And we need to set aside at least five minutes next episode to talk about the Ducktales Nintendo game. Oh, oh wait, oh, yeah. you were a Genesis kid. Did you play the Ducktales Nintendo game? I was a Genesis kid. Um, I played. Well, which one? I, there's a re-release that came out recently, yes. so I have played that. I've heard that's yeah. very good. Yeah. I'll have to revisit it before next month so that I can, I can talk as well as I'm able to. Arguably the best <laughs> game ever released for the Nintendo. <laughs> That's great. I think I can defend All right. that statement. Yeah, you should you should you should defend it next time. So we'll uh, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about all things Ducktales. Although I don't know about you, I'm probably not going to rewatch the whole series. Uh, no, I don't. I don't have time to. Unfortunately, I, I wouldn't mind. It's you know, but I, just, I don't have time for it. So I have read. I've um. I will say I've watched some old Ducktales, like you know, recently, um, and they still for the most part hold up. Yeah, that's They're, my experience as well. They're really not. Uh, bad. I watched some old uh, Darkwing Duck, and they do not hold up. <laughs> Man, that's a bummer. <laughs> Which I was surprised by. I, I mean, I felt like they were of a piece, you know, like because there are there are some crossover moments between those two, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Darkwing it's Duck's a, very nineties, I imagine, very extreme with just yeah. an X. <laughs> very Mountain Dew. Yeah. <laughs> Purple Mountain Dew. <laughs> Surge. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh man, I forgot about Surge. That's really funny. All right. Well, yeah. So we have that to look forward to next month, uh, which will be great. So, all right. Well, I enjoyed talking about this movie with you, Michael. This was a really fun one. Yeah, it was. I mean, the movie wasn't fun, but talking about it was fun. It's, it's. I think it's, <laughs> it's much more interesting to talk about movies that are flawed than to talk about movies that are good. Yeah, and that's oh, the, the the kind of the. Uh, the, the Tarzan problem, right? Like, Tarzan is too perfect to be flawed, so he's not an interesting character to watch, but his movie is flawed because of his perfection, and so, at all. <laughs> you just blew my mind, man. <laughs> yeah, my own tune. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, thanks for listening along with us. Our press liaison is Kristen Philippic, and we're on the old interwebs at beforetheywere.live and also christianhumanist.org. Uh, please help us continue this conversation by reaching out to us at before they were live at gmail.com or you can talk to Michael um, on Twitter. He's at Quell Bummer. Um, and we want to encourage you to set your podcast players' dials to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, where you'll find an abundance of new and old shows to keep you going. So for Michael Farmer, this is Josh Altman Chauffeur, reminding you that we know there are a great number of podcasts out there you could be spending your time on, but don't listen to them, because what do they know? We need each other to have and to hold. We'll, they'll see in time, I know. When destiny calls you, you must be strong. I may not be with you, but you've got to hold on.